difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with Genevieve Kosky, Scott Tobias. In our last episode, we discussed Total Recall, a Paul Verhoeven film in which Arnold Schwarzenegger performs feats of daring on Mars. Maybe. Uh, today, we'll be talking about Captain Marvel, the latest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the first to focus squarely on a female superhero. Co-directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, the team behind Half Nelson, Mississippi Grind, and other films, Captain Marvel keeps pulling the rug from beneath its heroine, played by Brie Larson, and known initially as Vares. As the film opens, she's part of the Kree race's elite SEAL team-like squad of commandos, a group determined to take out any stronghold in the hands of the villainous Skrulls. Yet she's troubled by memories she can't quite place, and by the Kree supreme intelligence is always taking the form of a woman she can't quite remember, but who's obviously important to her and who we know to be important since she's played by Annette Benning. Landing on Earth only intensifies those questions, and as she learns more about life on this apparently primitive planet, she also learns much about herself, all while blowing up a lot of military hardware. We'll talk it over in its connection to Total Recall after the break. So you're not from around here. It's hard to explain. I keep having these memories. I see flashes. I think I had a life here, but I can't tell if it's real. We have no idea what threats are out there. We can't do this alone. We need you. I'm not what you think I am. All right, guys, it's another month has rolled around, so we must, we must, we must be talking about another Marvel film. Uh, what do you think of this movie, and how do you feel like it fits into the MCU as a whole? Um, I'll start with you, Jen. I'd say, oh, ladies first, while we discuss this female uh, superhero. Who's our, who is our... Who was our Captain Marvel yes. heroine this evening? Uh, um, I mean, I'll say this. Captain Marvel is extraordinary in one notable way, at least, in that I think it is one of the very few films and probably the only film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I liked its third act best. Mm. Basically, I think the amnesia thing is a really huge liability to the story being told her and particularly to the character of Carol Danvers. Like, mm-hmm. As an origin story, having this big, blank question mark at the center of it just I think totally detracts from any sort of connection the audience might make to that character mm-hmm. as sort of a origin story or, or like an introduction to a character I think it functions much better for Fury in that way this film succeeded in making me excited for future Captain Marvel appearances mm. while not making me terribly excited about the majority of this movie I thought the filmmaking was pretty bad throughout like I think it's a very poorly lit film to the extent that I went and saw it a second time to make sure it wasn't the projection I saw <laughs> at the IMAX. Yeah. It's like a, a dark movie. The action scenes I don't think are very well handled at all. I hate the music and the use of music in oh, this movie. Man. But, you know, I like Brie Larson a lot. And like I said, that third act where she is revealed as Captain Marvel and the full extent of the implications of that are revealed, like that was exciting. So I think I came out of the movie being more excited than I was for the majority of watching the movie. You know, now that you make that point, 
I think one thing that's been said about Captain Marvel is that she's crazy powerful, like just mm-hmm. absurdly powerful. She compared can punch to the, a planet in half, basically. Right. She, she's, <laughs> so, so the hard job that this film has and that, that the amnesia plot sort of takes away from it is to make her human or to make us kind of like get into her as a person sure. before we understand her to be this absurdly powerful you know super heroic being mm-hmm. um that she becomes and so i think the film is a failure on that respect um i i was not hugely fond of this movie i i think you know i always talk about how marvel films have the low ceiling and the high floor this is definitely in the high floor category for me kind of a, of that sort of you know the range is sort of a c plus to b plus kind of range for marvel films and this is kind of in the c plus area i don't think a whole lot of it works it takes it really gets off to a bad start it finds its footing i think once it gets back on earth but then i'm not hugely impressed by it as a 90s nostalgia piece Mm-mm. i think it's l- really super lazy and broad as far as that's concerned the one thing i just i, I kind of ended up latching onto were just kind of loose chemistry between mm-hmm. uh brie larson and, and samuel L. jackson I, I i like the fact i mean this is the most we've gotten from nick fury and it was nice to see that side come out a little bit more and the two of them play off each other as well as they do and i, I kind of miss that banter and that and that warmth and the humor you know, and, and the adventure, that was kind of where the film worked for me, but so much of the other stuff around it um, didn't work for me at all. So you really like the Kong Skull Island reunion at the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. It, it fulfilled my uh, desire for another Kong Skull Island. <laughs> I, I thought it was fine. I, I think you're right. I think it's this is the lower tier Marvel film, but um, I never... Well, uh, I never mind it watching it, you know? No, no. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think Larson's performance does a lot because there's so we know so little about this character at the beginning Mm -hmm. and like she won me over at the very beginning when that's when the scroll screams at her and she just screams right yeah it's just kind of delightful um that said there's just it is a very thin piece of characterization and as you were saying before the amnesia does doesn't help she does seem weirdly unshaken by uh by by having her entire reality undermined it's it's a little i mean i guess it's a lot to put into a movie that's going to be aimed at younger viewers but i I think um if that were if i i were in her uh boots i guess um i i would i would be much more freaked out by the possibility that everything i thought was was real uh was not and and it also i mean it it is self-conscious about being a superheroine movie and i think the sort of the women can do everything men can do was laid on thick and simplistically, but the things that made me feel like, oh, well, that's a little obvious, also made me kind of happy to be watching it with my seven-year-old daughter yeah. who ha- hasn't had a character like this. I mean, she had, it was Wonder Woman, who's awesome, but in terms of Marvel movies, hasn't had a character like this, and, and uh, I think laying on a little thick when, when you're appealing to because you know, I think superheroes. I think kids like them. I, I think I kind of get lost. They're for kids now. I think I, yeah, Bam Pal superheroes are also for kids. Uh, I think it kind of gets lost in discussion. And I think the role modeling here is is not. Uh, it, you know, it, it is. It's all for the good. I think uh, so. It's fine. I enjoyed watching it. It's not one. Not a Marvel film. I'm going to return to that much. I don't think it's poorly made, but it's a little indistinctive and uh, indistinct in the way it was made. Yeah. I also do appreciate, because I don't want to sound overly critical of this film, because like I said, I, I saw it twice and I, you know, did not resent the fact that I was watching it either time. So one thing that I did like about this film was the focus that it put on Carol and Maria Rambo's mm-hmm. uh, relationship. And, you know, and as sort of an extension of that, that there is no romance and that that relationship like fills the space of a romance in this story 
And I wish that they could figure out how to light the actress who plays Maria because she was, I think, very poorly served by mm. the, the cinematography uh, in, in this movie. But in terms of that relationship, I'm glad that we got so much of it. Again, more toward the back end of the film, you know, also, you know, the introduction of Monica Rambo into the MCU, who I think will probably show up in, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Plants the seed for some awesome actress to take over that part. Exactly. Or maybe the kid is going to grow up and play the role herself. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be. Ten, it, it's, you know, it's 20, oh, 20 right. years later. Yeah. Yeah. Be, right, be, right. You find your okay. favorite 30-year-old actress to play that part at this point in, in uh, current films. But I was thinking, as we were talking about this, that maybe the comparable film for me in the MCU would be the first Thor film, which I didn't really like, mm. except as a fish out of water comedy <laughs> and i think i think the more down to earth this film gets and the more down to earth that thor got the more fun it was the more mm-hmm. the more i connected to it but mostly because i just i'm real i i don't care about any of the mcu stuff i don't you know so all of that connective well, we, tissue but the uh, tesseract you found out where the tesseract know, like, came oh, from your beloved tesseract it's so funny <laughs> like like my uh, wife who really knows the mcu is so much more than i do just was exasperated with me talking about the Tesseract after the movie. Me, me saying, saying, trying to figure out like where we'd seen it. Where did we, where did we see that Tesseract? Are you kidding me? Yeah, so uh, the first not, Avengers movie, right? Yeah, it was like appearance? it was. It, it was like the first Avengers, and then it was uh, what in the next latest Avengers. It was. Well, yeah, there it's again. one. It's one of the Infinity Stones. It got cracked yeah. open, and there was a stone inside. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yep. Good okay. job, Scott. Yeah, but that that was all stuff I had to learn after the movie. But yeah. uh, well, my family was upset with me for uh, not understanding that stuff. You disappointed your family. Yeah, as, well, as usual. I have to know, Scott, did you like Goose? I did like Goose. <laughs> yes. I did. It was hard because as uh, as you, uh, my, I've lost, I lost my cat of uh, 21 years a couple weeks ago. But but I'm, I'm at a point where I can enjoy cats again. And, uh, and, and let's back up. It was a twenty-one-year-old. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, R.I.P. Lola. That she had know, a long she's life. My, she's my oldest Chicago friend. She oh. was all my uh, so very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, don't. Uh, that's that's the thing. You get these animals, and then you know, and unless they're flirting. they're not Flirkins, immortal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're not immortal. Yeah. But but the, immortal. But uh, no, I don't think so. But, but I did. Goose was definitely a a highlight for the and again, you know, going back to what I was saying about you know a lot of this movie feeling like it was more about Nick Fury than Carol Danvers like the you know Samuel L. Jackson like cooing over a cat I could watch that for, for a really long time <laughs> apparently he does not like cats Aww. and Brie Larson is good allergic actor. yeah good, yeah. Oh, really? good actors yeah. both yeah but but apparently the cats there was there were five cats that played goose and apparently they all really liked Samuel L. Jackson in Aww. in typical cat fashion going yeah, after the, the the person. one who doesn't yeah. like him. Did you learn this from the April Wolf? Piece I did and learn Vulture? that from April Wolf's piece and Vulture, which yeah, I will. Love uh, April Wolf. It's, it's definitely worth. Uh, it's an interview with the the cat wrangler from Captain Marvel. Oh, so, fun! Yeah, so yeah, worth checking out. Good idea. Okay, so we talk. We should talk about the '90s stuff. We should talk about the music. Mm. They're all kind of tied <sighs> together, but so many just dead businesses and this i mean the blockbuster scene of course is a big one but there's a sears in the background and there's radio still, shack still around. radio a, shack's a big yeah. one uh, la weekly um is, is prominently featured well it's, not, it's still alive keith sure it's just, sure it's, 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 a, zombie. it's just a zombie publication vichy vichy la weekly <laughs> uh i'm sure april wolf would agree with all that oh yeah, yeah. she will um 
music bugged you? I have a playlist I love, and it's one of the most embarrassing playlists. It's called 90s Rock for Basics. <laughs> I feel like they were... They were, they were I mean, um, don't get me wrong. I love the songs. I yeah. hate the way they're used in this movie. And because they're they're like pure needle drops. They're, mm-hmm. they're in there for you to go like, I know this song. It's from the 90s. Sure. And they have no relationship to the character of Carol Danvers. She, she left Earth in 1989. She doesn't know any of these songs. Yeah. So compare that to Guardians of the Galaxy which very notably made use of a lot of pop songs, but that was so connected to the character of Star-Lord and his past. And there, so there was a character element to the use of that music. Here, it's just like, you want to hear Just a Girl because this is a movie about a female superhero. And it's, it's just like, I was so angry at that Just a Girl it's, music. It's yeah, weird too, one. because like Just a Girl to me, all, almost, if you listen to the lyrics, it's almost yeah. like, I'm, we're not a, you know, this isn't a Riot girl song. This isn't a particularly feminist yeah. song. It was, you know, No Doubt was sort of like, uh, gave pop permission to not be quite so, quite so political, which is kind of a mixed legacy, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a weird, it was a weird song to put on that. that, that just, point, it just can't, can you be more obvious? Just, just go a, a somewhat deeper cut in yeah. every respect. I mean, that, that and that's a Guardians thing. Guardians of the Galaxy does not really give you, um, gives you some songs that you might be familiar with, but are not like, you know, the most obvious thing that they could be played at any given moment. And it's just in here, it's, it's like cultural signifiers are just as generic as possible. Yeah, it's it's just like 90s hits sung by women for the most or part. Or as you are. You know? what, why? Or, yeah. what the hell is that? Oh, yeah, what that is that was, even there for? Yeah, and they even like kind of call it out yeah. with the like, nice choice. But again, why would Carol Danvers have... When did Come As You Are come out? That'd be 91. So she went, she disappeared in 89. Yeah, so. so why does she even know Come As You Are? Yeah, it, it, I call been, shenanigans. It would have been like, you know, Paradise City or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly. know. I mean, we see, like, you know, in the flashbacks, we see little bits of her and Maria <laughs> singing karaoke. I don't think we ever hear what song yeah, they're singing. It's, it's Kiss Me Deadly, which is oh, actually... Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's, wearing, she's wearing yeah. a Guns N' Roses shirt. Yeah. I think it was like, I, I was listening to the the big picture podcast, the ringer podcast that Sean Fennessy uh, and Amanda Dobbins host. And uh, Fennessy was saying like the moment for him in the film that really kind of like one of the big signifying moments for him about the 90s stuff in the movie was her taking a Nine Inch Nails shirt off of a mannequin (laughs) and wearing it. And just, there was just something so like, I don't know, so commercial about that whole Mm -hmm. gesture. Um, It's frustrating to me that, at, Wait, I actually find that to be very accurate because that, like, nineteen ninety five, the nine inch nail shirt was like the oh, item like of clothing, at least in my middle school. Like, people yeah. who who did not listen to nine inch nails had the nine inch nail yeah. shirt. Yeah, but it's just kind of like it just seems like a it's kind of a poser type of a oh, movie. Oh, sure, it's like the Ramon shirt of its of its day. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I just and, and you know, it's very disappointing to me that Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck have made this film at all and they bring so little to it i mean there's a, what you do get here of a political angle is some pretty heavy-handed stuff about refugees trying to push sort of the refugee angle uh when it comes or to, are they to, to the scrolls <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean you're trying to kind of get I mean, I guess that's where you're, you... I mean, it is like... To, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but it yeah. is sort of total recall, the official story that you get versus the actual story on the ground. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a little bit of that to it, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's just... There's just the whole thing just so feels so branded to me. They brought, just, ben, they brought Ben Mendelsohn with them. Yeah, that was great. Is, yeah. And he's, he's he really good, good at it. And he I, I do good. like that. 
it's not unpolitical to have uh, a story in which you find out that you're working for the bad guys and that your enemies are actually the more sympathetic parties in this ongoing conflict. I mean, I think that's there's something to that 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 shouldn't be overlooked. I did like the twist too. I, I did. I was alerted to the twist, unfortunately. But but uh, oh, were you? the scroll yeah. the, about the scrolls? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I thought it, I thought it played I thought it played quite well, especially since if, if you're a Marvel reader, you know the scrolls yeah. are definitely the bad guys. So it's mm-hmm. kind of kind of. Uh, you're having the rug ripped out from under you, much as uh, uh, Carol Danvers is. I wasn't actually spoiled on that element, but I think I was primed for it by the presence of Jude Law, who I could not see as not the villain. Like from the very first scene, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, obviously he's bad. Obviously he's going to turn on her. So if he's the one who is, you know, telling us why the scrolls are so dangerous, of course they're, of course he's lying, you know. But, but he's so handsome in this movie. Sure. He is, he is a handsome man, but he has, there's something, creepy, there's something innately sinister about one. him. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, he beats her up in their first scene, you know, yeah. obviously it's sparring and she can hold her own, but you know, there's something to, you know, when you present a mentor-mentee relationship right from the jump as being antagonistic like that, I think it sets it up for being not that relationship. Yeah. I mean, it definitely had my seven-year-old asking questions from the, her seat. <laughs> Are they the bad guys? Is that the, is that the bad guy? It's like, quiet. But yes. Uh, uh, it's a twist. God, it's a, I can't imagine trying to follow a movie like this as a seven-year-old, but she did okay. Uh, one thing, one tiny little note I will say in the film's favor is that I appreciated the retro almost like star trek the next generation look of the scrolls mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. just like kind of like they didn't really try to like dress it up in kind of 21st century slickness it was just, it had a nice rubber masky quality to it that i like yeah and compared to the cgi uh youngening effect <laughs> that I used on samuel l jackson and clark gregg mm-hmm. you know which I, I think is actually pretty seamless here you know there's it's pretty effective it's just oh weird yeah i, I, I yeah. find i find myself disoriented watching it but, yeah but uh it's, disturb- but it does it's work. disturbing that this that it works as well as it does i don't think we really recognize the implications of it working this well are dire for humanity yeah. <laughs> yeah. i think it's the worst thing that's going to happen to us but but it is uh, it is unsettling in some ways yeah, I, I just think it's uh, interesting that we have this like really well done sort of practical face makeup, and then this also really well done CGI face manipulation in the same movie. And I think actually both Ben Mendelsohn and Samuel L. Jackson are standouts, and they're both acting through. I actually don't know much about the process of youngening. Uh, he's, got, he, he's had dots all over his face. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so both of them are, you know, acting through of some amount of crap on their face. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. Ben Mendelsohn uh, a little more than than Jackson, but still, it's uh, one thing the MCU does well is cast good actors, especially in you know kind of major supporting roles like this and in villain roles too. And I think Mendelssohn was really good in, in here and brought mm-hmm. a lot to that character that is, I think, probably pretty difficult to carry off. No no argument here. I think he's he's definitely one of the best things about the movie. Yeah, and the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mendelssohn and the, the cat. cat. It's, it's a coin toss. Uh, okay, where, where does everyone stand on like the big 
montage where all the memories come together and she's kind of like picking herself off the ground or whatever was that rousing or cheesy where you, uh, you on that it may have been cheesy but i i cried yeah, okay <laughs> it was the moment we were talking to I, I was i was talking about what i said you know i'm i'm happy to be watching this with my daughter you know this is, okay. a, this is she a, gets up she does she just, every time she gets up those men are so mean to her but she just picks herself I up know. Yeah. i know <laughs> I, I i was won over by it too but in the same time i felt like it's such a commercial enterprise. Yeah, no, that, it, I, that, I, that the branding of everything and the com- commercial nature of everything and the kind of like Nike just do it, it, it kind of element to the whole thing. That was the devil on my shoulder, the angel on my shoulder. Was oh, on, Scott, was you're overthinking. It. It's just a movie. of course uh, i I joke we wouldn't be here if if we didn't obsess over these things and we'll be right back after the break to talk about the connections between total recall and captain marvel oh oh. you want to get personal where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like the bees. I can make them ride. Now? Been riding the desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. A toast is cut diagonally, I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No, no I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Now it's time for Connections. We bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. One thing we touched on you know, the most, I think, especially in our Total Recall, is the idea of memory and identity. It's a connection that really made us decide to pair these films. How do you feel it functions in Captain Marvel in relation to Total Recall? Total Recall engages with memory in a kind of dispassionate way like it's it's like memories removed from emotion you know and i i keep going back to the fact that when it's revealed to quade that you know he's had these memories you know implanted it's all very recent things it's all about his adulthood you know there's no sort of like core formative memories that have been affected here or like to compare that to another philip k dick story going back to blade runner and rachel like when you think about the revelation to her of that her memories are are false you know that's a very emotional moment for her you know these these formative aspects of her personality are false and that's a a really upsetting thing to an extent that happens in Captain Marvel as well. And Total Recall doesn't have anything of that. It's all very sort of like puzzle logic based. There's not that emotional core to that memory as identity in terms of like who you are as a human being. It's more like what your name is, you know, or like what your job is, not the core of you as a person. Yeah, I I think in both of them, it doesn't have quite the impact that you feel like it ought to i mean i would be if this were me i would be rachel in blade runner i would just completely yeah. gut it by these revelations whereas maybe it's just the quaid and and carol danvers are much stronger people than rachel or me uh but they, they they kind of roll with it there comes a point though i think in total recall i mean touching is certainly not the word that's a, not really verhoven's thing but there is um a point where i think he can kind of choose his identity in a way or kind of choose who he wants to be the choose the his best self in a way after he's recovered his memories and i like the active nature of that as opposed to just 
a character discovering who he or she is is one thing, but to actually have some sort of role in making a choice and redirecting your your life to who, who you want to be. It is, is it is in the, the original sense of the word existential. Yeah. It also uh, to bring in Captain Marvel, like it's striking to me that the reclamation of her memories like goes hand in hand with the revelation of like Carol Danvers is kind of dead, you know, or, mm-hmm. or she's she's not that person anymore she's this super natural being now you know in a lot of ways so it felt mournful to me watching it remembering this past life in tandem with the realization that it's gone you know like or she can't go back to this life you know in total recall there is still this like door open to like you said sort of choose the path you want to take and carol danvers slash captain marvel has already had that path set for her Mm -hmm. so the revelation of her past feels a lot sadder to me in a way kind of similar to to rachel and blade runner because it is it's lost in a way that i don't think quaid slash hauser's past is lost in total recall Another thing they have in common is these are both science fiction movies. I, I think all superhero movies are, you know, tread in, into the, the realm of science fiction, but this and Guardians of the Galaxy are, are definitely the more cosmic wing of the of the Marvel universe. And, mm-hmm. and Total Recall is as science fiction as you can get. They're kind of different types. So I mean, this is this is the Captain Marvel is definitely more of a space opera, whereas Total Recall comes from a much more cerebral wing of science fiction, but. Neither film is particularly cerebral itself, though. Both depend on a lot on action. How do you feel like the the action film elements relate to the science fiction elements in both of these? I almost didn't really think that much about Captain Marvel as a science fiction film, even mm-hmm. though I probably should have. And I, and of course, I think in our first segment, you know, as much as I would say that Total Recall is not as brainy a film, a piece of science fiction as RoboCop or. Starship Troopers, I do think there's a lot going on. I do think there's a lot to process, um, both in terms of this reconstruction of memory theme that we're talking about, then then also some of the political implications of Mars and Venusville and this corporation that's sort of dictating the way things go in that world. I, I didn't feel that same pull of ideas in Captain Marvel as I did with Total Recall. I think there, there are some that are present and are allowed to operate within the framework of, of science fiction, the, the refugee angle specifically. But I always think of science fiction having to give you a little bit more to latch on to than I really got with Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel is also operating within a much bigger sci-fi slash superhero universe. I mean, obviously the whole MCU and specifically the the cosmic elements therein, you know, it's able to sort of shortcut some things. I'm thinking of the, the reintroduction of, of Lee Pace's Ronin, who... Ronin the Accuser. Ronin the Accuser, of course, of, of the Accusers, who was last seen in the first Guardians movie. And his presence there, I think, made Captain Marvel feel like it was part of a bigger story in a bigger world than what is being told in that specific film in a way that is not necessarily the case in a standalone film like Total Recall, where this fantastical world and all of the ideas it contains are all in that movie. In Captain Marvel or any MCU movie, you know, there's all these other worlds and ideas that are just sort of like floating out there in the ether that you can kind of grab little bits and pieces from without making it necessarily a core part of the narrative. Does that make sense? It does. It hit me thinking about you you mentioning Leap Haste and then we talked earlier about the, the Tesseract and all these elements that go into 
the universe as a whole um, that pay off from previous films and then and then also kind of have you look forward to things to come. The problem with that, of course, it ends up being that a film like Captain Marvel is less a discrete unit than some of the earlier MCU films because they didn't have to have these payoffs. They didn't have to have these things tied to the other movies. And it makes you think more about like just how much did Bowden and Fleck have to do here? I mean, because we already know that a lot of the action sequences, for example, are things that the directors don't stage that are kind of done prior to. And and, uh, and then they also have to have these compulsory elements. And so the challenge ends up being, where in this do you make your mark? And how much of this film ends up being able to function as its own thing? And it's kind of a threat with Captain Marvel for me because I think because those compulsory elements are the ones that tend to work the least for me. I would argue, though, this almost works better if you don't know some of the larger universe because if you do, you kind of already know that the Kree aren't entirely up to good at, at the least aren't entirely up to good if you kind of if you kind of know it's already already been established that these they're not to be trusted so i think you could watch this movie and not uh, go in this movie for the first time and, and, and just enjoy it and kind of maybe head to wikipedia and up to the up to the mid-credit sequence which would be completely impossible to parse if you had not seen uh, uh, at least at least avengers infinity war but i was so it made me so excited <laughs> it kind of did but then it also felt like I just watched the setup for the next thing, you know? Yeah. I, 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 well, that, that kind of makes me, this discussion kind of makes me think about another connection between these movies that also illustrates how widely they differ, which is their status as adaptations, you know? And I mean, to call Captain Marvel, an ad, I mean, it's not adapting a specific storyline, although I did like there's a little Kelly Sue DeConnick cameo in there. Um, oh, really? I didn't spot her. Yeah, she was in the, uh, when she's getting off the train, she was one of the people in the in the train station. Oh, there was she, someone she that kind of lingered on. Yeah. I was wondering why. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But uh, Captain Marvel is not you know, adapting a specific comic arc, but it is kind of functioning within this grander story, the way comic book arcs do, you, you know, and the, it, it's kind of the way Marvel movies are made is kind of very similar to the way big comic properties are doled out and, and managed and edited, you know, whereas Total Recall is this sounds like very heavily uh, changed adaptation of a discrete story you know and it would just it was able to use this one story as a jumping off point yeah. whereas captain marvel was operating within this huge adaptation of a universe you know and is like i said is able to kind of pull from elements of that universe but is also beholden to it in a way that Total Recall is maybe not beholden to this one Philip K. Dick short story. And, then, and that was some a point that I, I had meant to make about Total Recall in our last episode when we were talking about Philip K. Dick is that I think films felt completely liberated to take just a germ of an idea from <laughs> Philip K. Dick or just plunder what they wanted from him and just do something completely different and not be beholden to it at all. You know, we get up to something like a, like Link Ladder's Scanner Darkly or something, and then then you're like, wow, that is completely a Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. adaptation. They are really he is really trying like crazy to to make that work. But here, you can just kind of have an idea, have a premise, and you know, take little bits of story the story elements you need, discard the rest, and build upon it, and that's fine. That works. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
that's a very faithful adaptation, but it's also I think probably one of the more you know relatively speaking one of the more straightforward novels. I remember a um, yeah a friend of mine who's, who's a screenwriter at one point was supposed to work on an adaptation of Ubik, and it's like oh good luck, <laughs> good luck with that one. That's, yeah, that's an untranslatable. Do you know, do you know a piece of personal trivia? Uh, my uh, my friend and I, as a um, uh, independent study, wrote a screenplay adaptation of The Man in the High Castle. And now when you're I was suing Amazon Studios. Oh, man, I, I can't imagine. Ours was, our, our adaptation was very poor, but that was, you, an, that that was another very adaptable. Oh, it's terrible. I think it's terrible. It's, about, it's, it's one of those things where I, I can't... So boring. It's oh kind of like with, with Gotham. I can't imagine... that they, oh If you told me a few years ago there was no. a TV show about Batman I would never watch. If you told me there was a Philip K. Dick adaptation of that no, book, which I love, so that I would never watch. Yeah, I've so never boring. watched it. Yeah. it looks anyway. Anyway. We're, we're, we're slightly off topic now, aren't we? Well, one more thing. Did you have you watched the other Philip K. Dick thing on Amazon, the Electric Dreams? No, you need to check that out. Uh, well, <laughs> like so much. Do you guys, you guys want to start a Philip K. Dick uh, yeah, spinoff podcast? Dick cast. <laughs> <laughs> I can just be you guys. Tasha and I'll sit it out. We probably yeah. probably at least get some <laughs> listeners out of curiosity who don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, uh, one other thing, we we, we, we touched on this get, before. We get some, some very negative reviews. <laughs> <laughs> not what one star, not what I expected. Um, one thing we did uh, touch on a little bit above is is that they're both films about resistance fighters and rebellions and and oppressive. Forces. I would say I would say it's more effective uh, in Total Recall because it's a little more out there. But it's like like we said before, it's not unpolitical in, in Captain Marvel either. Uh, do you feel like anyone's going to leave Captain Marvel or Total Recall for that matter, thinking about the politics of the film? I think the refugee yeah. stuff is pretty resonant, especially. Yeah. You know the scenes at the end. If, if you want to talk about cheesy moments that are also really affecting, it is, is when the when the scrolls are hanging out and the kids are hanging out together. It's like we're not so different. The scrolls and humans. We're not, you know they're, they're, we shouldn't let things divide us. It's it's a very simple message, but it works for me. Yeah, and I, I was thinking if I had seen anyone kind of talking about the politics of Captain Marvel, and I feel like the discussions I've seen have centered more on its uh, military, mm-hmm. um, the military aspects of it, and how it handles that. And I actually think it comes down as fairly critical of, of, yeah, of military uh, force, especially if you interpret the Kree to be a, a militaristic force, which mm. I think we are supposed to, you know, and they call themselves heroes. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but to the extent that it uses the tools of the U.S. military specifically, right. it seems it seems... You know, I think yeah, you maybe interpret it as a little more pro-military than people. Yeah, except that it's with. never in any sort of combat scenario. You know, in the U.S. military is never involved in in combat. You know, I mean, and they flat out say at some point uh, that women weren't allowed to fly in combat. You know, so they're relegated to this more test pilot scientific arm of the military. But um, I don't know. I don't particularly agree with the criticisms I've seen of it glorifying the military. And I, I think the reason I don't see that is tied to its attitudes about refugees of war and, you know, I, the criticism that it seems to have about the central cosmic war that's, you know, underlying all of this. But, you know, also, I think the U.S. Air Force is like doing a partnership with Captain sure. Marvel. So it's, you know, but that's yeah. uh, extra textual. I think you can <laughs> easily come away from the saying, you know, go Air Force and, and uh, the but also thinking the uh, reckless use of military power is bad. Um, yeah. yeah. 
it's, it's not taking it too strong of a, of a stand on in any position here. Um, it should though. It should take a stronger stand. I, I think. I mean, the refugee thing, particularly, like if you're going to have that in there, just maybe have a little bit more muscle. I just again trying to look for where Fleck and Bowden are are in this scenario because they, they've made socially conscious John Salesian films before like like sugar and like in half nelson and there was a film critic i can't remember the name it re- referred derisively to fleck and bowden as sentient npr totes <laughs> <laughs> which is uh if you if you're not a fan is a pretty pretty good cutting uh, criticism but uh i was hoping for even that much just kind of like a little bit more a little bit more like why are you making this movie they made four or five you know true independent films that seem to express an interest in politics and social justice and that sort of thing and to see that kind of, you know character studies and to kind of see all that a lot of that fall by the wayside yeah but deliver how, something like this I how don't many know. of those can they make now they have a little more you know more clout i think that's probably the, the trade-off yeah, maybe so i mean they've, they've also directed maybe but might be think about like they've also directed episodes of billions maybe you can just think about like yeah. they, they're two people who also have to continue to make a living and and maybe this is what maybe we should think about this more as for higher work but they also scripted this or coast had a hand in scripting it so like who five knows? people scripted this so. yeah but they were they were they were, they're credited, credited so yeah yeah you know so they were they did try to take some ownership of it in that respect what about the violence there's a very there's a lot mm-hmm. of violence in this film mm-hmm. and there's a lot of violence in total recall but it's very different sorts of oh, violence yeah. and and i would say you know the marvel films are rated pg-13 but i really think they're they're pretty they're pretty light PG 13s. Um, and total recall is very, barely got an R rating was originally, originally rated X just like, like RoboCop. And I would not want, I would not be bringing my, my kid to see Captain Marvel if it had that kind of violence in it, but you don't really see a lot of R rated action films anymore. And watching total recall made me a a little nostalgic for a a little bit more blood and guts in the, in the action movies we were getting. Yeah. I mean, I think, with PG-13 action movies, you know, and sort of the mandate of not being able to show blood, although interestingly, there is a little bit of blood in Captain Marvel, it just happens to be blue. Um, I I, I did wonder if that was like a way to get around the blood or the not showing blood thing, or if that was just like, because I think it was only ever coming out of her nose. So maybe it didn't like really count. Anyway, but I think like, with not being able to revel in the spectacle of violence the way that Total Recall does, movies like this, they have to like make up for it with like really exciting action choreography. Because I think like that's where you get sort of the implication of violence and the excitement of it, but divorced from any sort of gore, you know? And I don't think Captain Marvel, like I said, handles its uh, action choreography particularly well, although I do kind of like the scene of her with her hands uh, bound, you know, which is a little reminiscent of the, the chair, uh, uh, him breaking mm-hmm. out of the chair in Total <laughs> Recall with the, and wanging someone with, with it. But other than, than that scene, it all felt just very inert to me. But I think that PG-13 movies, when they handle their action well, can sort of compensate for the lack of actual the physical sensation of violence that you are able to get when you show more gore mm-hmm. with just the, the spectacle of the choreography of, of violence. 
you know. So, so of course, because my own memory is is, is Swiss cheese, like I, I googled R-rated action movies, and I thought they're not absent. I mean, there's the you know, we got our Fury Roads and and John mm-hmm. John Wicks, but also we have Logan, which I think was an attempt mm-hmm. to really kind of, of marry the R-rated a- action um, aesthetic to an a superhero movie pretty successfully. But uh, those they, they do seem rarer, at least. This seems like more the norm, at least in terms of a movie that's going to play a lot of theaters at once. I mean, an R-rated action movie, it just gives you the, that license to punch harder and to, to, mm-hmm. to make to make the action more physical and more affecting and visceral and visceral, more gripping. Yeah. There's just, I don't think, you know, there's plenty of viscera in Total Recall. I mean, to me, I, I, I'm sure I've said this on previous shows, the action in any Marvel film is just always the most boring part of the film for me. I don't, I, they have this house style. I don't think, I never think the scenes are that well constructed. There's a, over-reliance on CGI. And I think it's maybe over-reliance isn't necessarily the right word because they're all superheroes. They can do all these things that humans can't do. And so you need effects for that. But this stuff puts me to sleep. I don't... I I think sometimes some of it works better than others. I I think you can look at the casino scene in Black Panther, with us, which looks like Ryan Coogler directed it versus mm. the big action climax, which exactly. is the worst part. I mean, not not including the big showdown at the end, but but the big battle royale in Black Panther is the least interesting part of that movie. And I, mm-hmm. I think you run into that too with like Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier, where I think you have these really, um, the car chase is great and the fight in the elevator is, is fantastic. And then, you know, the big, you know, uh, all, everything happening at once climax is, is pretty Yeah, dull. maybe just something, if you can get in a situation where it's like hand-to-hand mm-hmm. combat or as close as you can get to that with a superhero, the, be- the better off you are because uh, w- once you step away from that and, you know, and it's when Captain Marvel is all with the glowy eyes and destroying, I don't even know what, uh, no obstacles are coming uh, t- toward her at that point in the movie, mm-hmm. but... Um, um, she goes I, like through a destroyer. Yeah, it's yeah. just not that it, it's not that exciting to me. It's like it's not staged well. It's not impressive, and in there just don't seem to be any stakes. I don't know if I agree with that as it applies to that moment in Captain Marvel. You but, like that? Yeah, but I I liked it as as payoff and as finally feel it. It felt like getting to the fireworks factory. Mm. You know, <laughs> maybe um, they should have had a music cue at the behind. <laughs> <laughs> what would have been a good one? Like uh, the peaches by uh, by. Uh, <laughs> By the President of the United States of America? The impression that I get by the by my boss tones. It could be good. <laughs> the distance, the cake. All right. Yeah. Today? Um, how about today? That would, mm, right? Yeah, Today's little, the greatest day, meditative. right? And then, and then it's happening. Yeah. Right. Mm. They should have let so us just, do just the soundtrack. Just a real slow, mellow <laughs> action. Do, 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 do. <laughs> she, she, she's she's ascending. It's like you get that little guitar part, and then she starts destroying things like... I see a fan edit coming on. Let's get you on that. Uh, we should talk. Let's talk about women. Let's talk about. Um, let's talk about. A, you know, I, I think Captain Marvel is a, a strong character who is female, and then in in, in Total Recall we get uh, Molina, who's sort of the you know stock strong female character <laughs> trademark uh, that that gets talked about. Is sort of like you know she's tough and she's she kicks butt and she's just there to serve the story and then and, the, and, the, and, and the also hero. and I, also to be in love with him for no yeah. apparent reason it's and to drape weak. herself on him at the end of the movie you know yeah, it's a real weak link I think that's kind of a boring performance and a really thinly conceived character I mean yeah. I think Sharon Stone's um, bad guy character is so much more compelling 
different than mm-hmm. the heroin in, in, in Total Recall. Well, not free of problems. No, herself, no, of course not. But, but definitely more compelling. Well, I would say what's surprising too about that shortcoming of Total Recall is that Verhoeven throughout his career has frequently built his films around women. Like, you know, from, I'm going to, butcher her name but Renee Sudjutnik in his Dutch films and then you know then you get to Sharon Stone and you get to Carice Van Houten in, in Black Book you get um, you know Isabelle Huppert yeah. and uh, uh, like he he you know I mean these movies are I mean the sexual politics of these films are combustible and co- controver- complicated and controversial to <laughs> say the least but you definitely are not getting a, st- a stock character like you are here but if it is all the fantasy of a male character who picks that out from you mean a, of, a male hetero character, male <laughs> hetero character, um, who picks that out from other choices, uh, she would be thin. She would be um, not that well developed, and she would drape herself over the hero because that's her role in the story. So I think, um, you know, if you go with the it's all a dream reading, it's much more interesting. <laughs> her her being boring is much more interesting if you if you read it that way. Yeah. That's valid, yeah. As far as Captain Marvel goes, I already touched a little on the uh, Maria Carroll relationship and how refreshing it was to have that in a movie and a complete lack of a love interest. And, you know, even in this era of strong female characters, you know, it's pretty rare to not have, you know, at least some sort of peripheral love interest or the implication, even someone like Rey in Star Wars, like sort of the implications it's dancing around with Kylo Ren, like, you know, it's, it's, it's rare for female characters to just exist solely as themselves and for their relationships to not have any sort of a, a whisper of romance in them. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, uh, her relationship with Nick Fury, too, the fact that there's never any sort of attempt to imply there might be anything there you know they have great chemistry but it's not that exactly exactly and and i think like a part of having a quote-unquote strong female character is exploring the different types of chemistry they can have Mm. with different types of characters and not falling back into these same old tropes and you know for however successful you think captain marvel you know navigates its various tropes i do think that it you know puts so much effort into that one relationship is uh, a really strong point in its favor. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'm thinking, of course, the one relationship that you didn't mention and in, in, in comparable relationships, I guess, would be Wonder Woman and Chris Pine, mm-hmm. which, is a, oh, perfect. Which, is, yeah. which is very clever, very, very savvy, the way that that tension is present, but not followed through on in any, mm-hmm. in any way. Um, so you kind of get... It's so a little followed through The film sort of kind of... Kind of, but the film sort of kind of has there's cake, some, cake there's some am, There's some ambiguity as to what happens that oh. one night. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think all the points you, you make Genevieve are good in terms of uh, giving you uh, different looks because so I, th- I think that we don't that just just the notion of it, the strong female character there's just you need you want a, a lot more than that you want a lot of a lot of layers and, and looks and, and different types of relationships and not be this like uh, you know James Cameron idealized being yeah oh just real quick can we just make note of her shooting the the, the true lies standee down in 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 block when she lands in the blockbuster oh, right. <laughs> connections yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean she does it is arnold schwarzenegger but also just in terms of female characters mm-hmm. like having that i mean i've only seen true lies once but i remember jamie lee curtis's character being interrogated <laughs> Yeah. In a very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just so it, it felt very pointed to have like 
that particular dynamic being what is blown apart by uh, by her. I would have I would have just loved to have been though to have been the person who gets to choose what video box she picks up <laughs> she picks up the right stuff and then yeah. she does the thing with the true lies thing but oh man i spent so much time at a suburban <laughs> blockbuster in the 90s and i'd be like mm, what kind of clamshell box to, uh mm-hmm. you know the right stuff was correctly a two, a t- two, two vhs two, set yeah. as, as well, it if, they had, been. if they had missed that detail that would have been ridiculous i know i would have watched right out of the movie absolutely <laughs> yeah. absurd no it was two it was two tapes man yep <laughs> i'm out of here <laughs> This is unrealistic. <laughs> Everything about this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that, that about wraps it up. Um, Total Recall is available on all the usual streaming services and on Blu-ray. And it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime, if you have that one. Uh, Captain Marvel is in theaters. Captain Marvel will be <laughs> available from now until long after everyone listening to this podcast is dead. And Captain uh, Marvel will be back in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> that's true. She will be back. Uh, and we will be right back with your next picture show. Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it your next picture show in the hopes it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Scott, what in the film world has been good for you lately? Uh, well, last night I, I, I walked over to my local theater and saw a movie called Birds of Passage. Um, this is a new film from the filmmakers who did Embrace of the Serpent. It was Columbia's entry for foreign language film. It was shortlisted but did not make the list. But I really liked it. It's it's very interesting in that it, in that it is a quite familiar sort of drug gangster epic type of film i mean like the like the 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 narrative of people who are who get involved in the drug business and get deeper and deeper and then all these terrible things happen i mean that's some that's the story we've seen many times but this film is really interesting in its its particulars because it is about the indigenous people of the Wayus and their involvement you know in in the compromises of their tradition and their health as they get involved in this business and then uh, have all of this amassment of of tragedies eventually overwhelm them it takes place uh, mostly in the late 60s and and 70s it's divided into five chapters and just the rhythm of the thing is so unconventional it's not you know again you anticipate all of the things that are going to happen and they happen um you know this accumulation of of wealth this compromising of values this kind of incorporation of indigenous culture into the larger culture in colombia and with you know gringos who they're selling drugs to and and uh, you know all of that stuff is has this terrible deleterious compromising effect but the way the film does it and the way the film really pays attention to these traditions and, and, and rituals and curses and uh, all that is so well handled and so so interesting and, and also offbeat as well so I, I really am beautiful so I, I think it's a really good film it's worth checking out it looks great it's in it's in you know two three five to one a really big colorful film totally recommend it uh real gem birds of passage yeah we we talked about maybe doing it for the podcast uh now that you've seen it do you have a pairing in mind scott <laughs> for birds of passage well i mean i think it could just be i paired with you know there like i said there's so many there are plenty of gangster films yeah. that have that arc to them of people who are who are just kind of like stumble their way into the business and compromise themselves but i would try to try to think about what would be the 
what would be one that had kind of an indigenous angle to it? I don't yeah, know that, I, I don't know that I would. I, I don't know that I think. I don't know what, what I could think of right off the top of my head. I mean, City of God. City of God. Not necessarily the indigenous. Yeah, I guess not. Though. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite. It just doesn't quite fit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but but um, but I, I I'll have to give that one some thought. But I, I do. I, I think it was it was good. It would have been an interesting show. This pairing thing is hard, guys. Yeah. <laughs> the other pairing I wanted to do was it's something. Not, it's I not rec- for amateurs. Recommended la- the one I recommended la- last week that uh, Transit. I, I, I would have want- paired with Casablanca too. Yeah. That was another kind of. Thing I want to see Transit. I want to see Birds of uh, Passage. Yeah, you so should. It's really good. It's very good. Well, Keith, what what about you? Um, I'm going to recommend another Western, almost as if I was working on some kind of <laughs> Western list that might publish at some point. I What I had not seen before that I'm as happy I checked out, it was called uh, Vera Cruz, which is a 1954 American Western uh, directed by Robert Aldrich and starring, oh boy, wait until you get to hear a load of this, uh, of this cast. Uh, it stars Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster in the lead roles uh, with Ernest Borgnine, Cesar Romero, Charles Bronson, Jack Elam. It's just so many of your, your people, all these faces you want to see turn up in, in, in Westerns. There they all are. Um, and it's really an interesting movie. I mean, Robert Aldrich is, is a, is a, is a strong two fisted, uh, uh, director, uh, when he, when he wants, wants to be. And this is uh, a lot of two fistedness in this one because it's, it's kind of a film in which the, the heroes aren't, aren't that great <laughs> to begin with. And it's many ways it's often cited as and correctly as a, as a precursor, uh, the spaghetti Westerns because, um, no one here is, is morally pure. The closest we have is, is Gary Cooper who, um, is trying uh, trying to raise money to to rebuild his well, you know, rebuild his plantation because the Civil War didn't go so well for him. Um, so and and he runs into a a really uh, nasty character played by Burt Lancaster, uh, who he has to team up with to uh, try to rob the Mexican government of a tremendous amount of money uh, that's also wanted by these revolutionaries. And it's it's all um, it's all really interestingly. Stated. Stage. I mean, Aldridge is a, is a, is a terrific director, and mm-hmm. uh, those two leads are uh, fantastic. Cooper as sort of a, a quiet, um, you know, sturdy man of action, and, and Burt Lancaster just really just tearing into the role of this nasty character um, who's just a lot of a lot of fun to watch, and he's he's quite convincing as a, uh, as a as a pretty sleazy guy who's good with a gun uh so yeah i would i would recommend uh, uh vera cruz scott have you have you seen this one i or? have not but uh but i really like aldrich's style i mean the, the ones the films that i have seen of his like kiss me deadly and and whatever happened to baby jane and hush hush sweet, sweet charlotte I mean, he's got uh, dirty dozen he's got a lot of flair and power in his filmmaking filmmaking and i think with a it seems like with a with the talent involved in this one, it so- sounds like a lot of yeah. Lot and of it shot on location in Mexico, and also it was not particularly well she- received by the Mexican government, who put a lot of restrictions on American production shooting in Mexico after this, because <laughs> uh, it is it is kind of grimy looking and it depicts Mexico, although Mexico of many years priors as a dangerous place. But there's there is an amazing shot in this movie where they're in a town square. And it's the revelation, the, the reveal is that they're surrounded by these rebels who pop up like one at a time, like in waves on the, the, the walls of the city, which Aldrich depicts in this like this three, I don't know if it's 360, but it's, it's just this long pan where it just kind of goes around and you just see so much space and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, you, you, should, uh, you should check it out. You would enjoy it. 
Genevieve, how about you? Uh, well, I am going the film-related item route uh, this week, not because I haven't seen any good movies, but just because I want to talk about these two things, and they aren't movies. Um, uh, the first one is actually a comic book that is being put out by this uh, little upstart uh, publisher called Marvel, I think. <laughs> um, no, uh, it's a, a new, I believe, five-issue series called Meet the Scrolls. Um, the first issue just came out as we're recording this, and I believe when you hear this, the second issue will be out. And um, I feel like I can probably let sort of the log line do the work for me here. And it's basically the Americans, but with the Skrulls, <laughs> with the family of Skrulls. You know, it's a, a family of Skrull spies who have infiltrated uh, American culture. And in the first issue, they're presented uh, kind of as Keith said, the Skrulls in the comics are traditionally villainous uh but the way they are set up suggests that this series may complicate that going forward the same way the americans complicated the idea of the evil communist spy so i really like the first issue it's written by robbie thompson with art by nico henry i think is how you pronounce it mm-hmm. um and uh keith i don't suppose you you've read this no this I, one I, like, I like robbie thompson though yeah yeah he's written spider-man and deadpool uh runs but yeah i uh, if you are at all compelled by the Skrull storyline in Captain Marvel, um, or just if you like good comics, I would definitely check out Meet the Skrulls, uh, number one, and by the time you hear this, number two as well. I'm just going to assume it's good. Um, <laughs> my second quick recommendation is actually a TV show, oh, guys. I'm what? sorry. I know. But is a TV show based on a movie a movie that I think we all really love and I think most Next Picture Show <laughs> listeners also love, which is What We Do in the Shadows, uh, um. the 2014 mockumentary by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi, who are also the producers of the new FX What We Do in the Shadows TV series. Uh, Waititi also, I think he directed the first episode, Clement directed the remaining ones, and Clement wrote the, the pilot as well. Um, mm. So they're definitely involved with the actual filmmaking. Um, but it is... It's definitely this a similar setup to the movie, but it's a whole new cast of characters. It's set in America in Staten Island, <laughs> um, and it is tremendously funny mm-hmm. and definitely has the same sort of comedic tone and the same look as the movie, but tells a, a story that's all its own. The characters are all their own. The relationships are really fun, um, and it's just it, it starts out really strong with a pilot and. I, by the third or fourth episode, I think it's just incredibly uh, solid. It uh, premieres on March 27th, which should be, I believe, the day after you you hear this. If you listen to us the first day we come out, which, uh, why wouldn't you? Of course. Um, but if you happen to listen to us a little later, it will be running new episodes throughout the season as well. And I, I highly recommend you check it out, whether or not you, you liked what we do in the shadows, the movie. But uh, if you haven't seen that film, uh, also r- please rectify that immediately. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I, I watched the, as soon as the screeners for that, like literally <laughs> the night that the screeners became available for what we do in the shadows, I, I burned through the first three episodes and, and really had a good time. There's another it. one. There's a fourth episode. Is there? Okay. Yeah. Or maybe, was, maybe I saw four, but I, yeah. no, I, was, I saw three. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. The Staten Island thing is so great, and particularly mm-hmm. when they're trying to find, they want to take over the world or whatever. They want to, well, they've like, been tasked with taking over the world, whether they, they want yeah, to exactly. is another question. It, but, but, they, but they have to start with like city council meetings. It's mm-hmm. just like, it, I mean, the, as you can imagine, the, Lots of opportunities for comic business in situations like that. Yeah, and 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 it's a comedic thread that uh, Waititi and Clement, you know, handle very well, which is sort of the the clash of the self-important and the mundane. You know, here the with you know something as 
um, storied uh, and legendary as vampires, you know, attending a Staten Island City Council meeting. It's just it makes for a lot of a lot of fun. That's good. I, and I and I have to can I can I do like a little asterisk since you you had a, two things uh-huh. that were not. I I really have to recommend the the Twitter account uh, uh, movie premieres unlimited. Oh yes. Have you oh oh yes. <laughs> this is this is the Twitter account is at night opening and uh, and it and it goes it basically all it is 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 shots of of the premieres of various Hollywood films and just shows you what you know what everyone looks looked like at the time the styles the looks you know the gimmicks that were going on you get Sinbad and jorts you know, <laughs> and freshly pressed jorts and it's just it's so fantastic there's, there's to currently think, to I, think I, about who's who was there I mean I'm looking right now at at Michael Richards at the Alien Three <laughs> it's just like why, why? Um, so uh, everyone's having a great time and being wacky on the uh, red carpet, and it's just you gotta you gotta check it out. It's it's endless fun. May, may I recommend the um, Mickey Blue Eyes as a, a good st- uh, pictures as a good starting point? Uh, that's, that's, oh, a, okay. that's a good way into <laughs> yeah. into this account. Oh um, yeah. So so yeah, if you haven't, it's not a good seen way that, into this Twitter. It became, it became like a big a big kind of like thing among film Twitter people, but uh, totally, you know, a source of joy on a site that sometimes doesn't deliver <laughs> a lot of joy. Uh, so yeah. Highly recommended movie premieres unlimited. Uh, the ad, it's at night opening. Film. It's so much more than film. It's Twitter accounts. It's TV. It's everything. <laughs> and that's it for this edition of the Next Picture Show. Our next pair will come out on April second and 9th. Genevieve, what's coming up? In our next episodes, we'll be seeing double twice. First up, we'll consider Philip Kaufman's 1978 version of the oft-remade Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a terrifying thriller about pod people set in San Francisco in the thick of the 1970s. Then we'll bring in Jordan Peele's second film as a writer-director, Us, another unsettling, socially aware story of lookalikes and replacement people. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of Total Recall, Captain Marvel, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. We may post your response on Facebook for discussion or read it on a future episode of the show. Finally, before closing out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve? I am the deputy TV editor at vulture.com and I am on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky. Scott? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias and um, you can find my work at a plenty of different places like uh, New York Times, NPR, uh, The Ringer, um, and um, Vulture and other fine websites. Keith? I'm on Twitter at KFIPS3000. You can find me at various publications as well. You're your Vulture, you're The Ringer, uh, The Verge, uh, all kinds of good places. And Tasha Robinson, who's absent this week. We forgot to note her absence in the introduction. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> we, we just completely slipped our memory. Exactly. So we forgot that, Tasha even existed. That's what happened. <laughs> but uh, oh, gosh. Well, Tasha is the film and TV editor at The Verge. And you can find her on Twitter at, at Tasha Robinson. You can stay updated on the Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net via Twitter at, at nextpicturepod or via Facebook at facebook.com slash nextpictureshow. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcast subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominence and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. 
Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keep the show going. Thanks to Dan, the Snake Jakes, for his assistance producing the podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be a part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. 